Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Once again, welcome to Harvest. So glad you're here worshiping with us today. And uh, man, love, love, love to get to worship the Lord in song with our team. Amen. Um, they just do a fantastic job every single week. And uh, this week, we were actually talking about perseverance in the sermon. And so I just want to do a quick shout out. My man, Mr. Dave over here on the electric guitar. This dude is here like every single week. He's the only electric guitar player we have. He's here every week, killing it. And right now, He's got a bum knee. He can barely stand up, and he's up here playing electric guitar so we can worship. Can we give him a hand for that? Like, that's, that's pretty awesome. That is what it means to persevere for the Lord, and we're going to see that in the text today as well. So if you've got your Bibles, grab your Bibles. Let's get into Acts chapter 5 today. Um, in the book of Acts, we're kind of walking through here. We're starting a new sub-series today called from the, the Strength from the Spirit. Um, we're going to be looking at how does the strength of the Holy Spirit help us in our day-to-day Christian life? How does it hold us up? How does it empower us? What does it do uh, to help us follow Jesus on a day-to-day basis? And so uh, if, you're, if you're new with us today, or maybe you just didn't have a Bible with you today, there are some hardback black ones on the floor there around you. We'd love for you to grab one of those. You can follow along with us there as well. So recently, I was, um, a couple weeks ago, we went to my 20-year high school reunion. I was expecting more of a gasp there. Okay, that was not helpful. For me, that was like, what, 20 years? I cannot believe it's 20 years. So, um, so we did, we went to this reunion. I'm sitting around talking with some of my friends and, from high school, and we were chat, started chatting about exercise and running and stuff like that. And you just have to know this about me. Like, I hate running. Like, I just, unless I have a ball in my hand, I just don't really see the point. But, like, so running is not my thing. But the last couple of weeks, I actually have started running because I was having a conversation with one of the men in our church a few Sundays ago, and he, he super convicted me that I was getting out of shape and unhealthy. And so I started doing this running thing again. And um, so we're sitting there, we're talking about running and exercise. And when I say running for me, that's like a mile at a time that I'm ashamed to tell you, okay? Like, that's, that's what I mean when I say running. But we're talking to one of my friends, and uh, she, she was telling us how her and her husband have started running these things called ultras. You know what ultras are? I didn't know what ultras were. Ultra stands for ultra marathon. Then most recently, they did a 50-mile trail run through the mountains. I was like, what? Do you know we invented cars? Like, do you know that's a thing? Like, why would you be running 50 miles? The human body is not designed for that. Like, she's like, no, no, it's great. You run through the thing, and then like, every so often they have these tents, and you stop at the tents, and you change your socks and your shoes, and you rehydrate, and you get some protein. And I'm like, that's the way I plan my trip to Six Flags. Not like a 50-mile run. Like, stop, you know, ride these rides, stop here, change your thing. Like, but this, they're, they're running these ultra marathons, and so it's just, it's just craziness to me. And I, I consider myself to be a, a pretty strong-willed, persevering type of guy. Like, I, I can do that most of the time, but I can just tell you straight out, there is no way that I could run 50 miles right now. Like, I, I, no matter how hard I tried, no matter how hard I worked, no matter how much time I put in, I could not physically do that. I'm barely persevering through a mile right now, okay? And they're, they're doing 50 in a day. Sometimes, I think as Christians, many of us think of the Christian life as like a one mile run or for you really fit people like a 5k or a 10k right like it's hard but if I just work hard enough if I just put in the time if I just keep going I can do it that's a lot of times how we think about the Christian life I I can make it through if I just push myself hard enough but the reality is the Christian life is not like that Christian life is like an ultra maybe a whole string of ultras where there is no possible way we're getting to the end of it on our own 
that our own strength is not going to win at the end of the day. We have to have something bigger than us, something stronger than us, something inside of us that is persevering through us to get us to the finish line. And that's what we're going to see here in the text today. I can only persevere on God's mission when I rely on God's strength. I can only persevere on God's mission when I rely on God's strength. I need him to get me through the day-to-day to make it to the end. So chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 12. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So they carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. And as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. First point I want to show you today in the text is this. Don't be distracted by the success of the mountaintop. Don't be distracted by the success of the mountaintop. Stay humble. Right? So right here, it starts off in this text and says that many signs and wonders were being done regularly by the hands of the apostles. Listen to that language. Many signs and wonders done regularly. Luke is trying to stress here to us the pervasiveness of the healing ministry of the apostles. They're healing so many people, they're probably healing more people than Jesus did at this point. Right? Like, this is a big time thing going on here in Jerusalem at the hands of the apostles. But notice it says, at the hands of the apostles, not at the hands of all believers. Right? This was the result of a special filling of the Holy Spirit to, en- to en- endow them with extra power to substantiate the message of the gospel. This is one of those pre- uh, descriptive texts in Acts, not a prescriptive prescriptive text in Acts, meaning we should not expect all Christians for all time to have the power to just heal anybody anytime they want. That's not what we're seeing here. What we're seeing here is that God is doing a special work through the hands of the apostles in order to bring the gospel to the masses. In fact, what's interesting to me, even later on in the book of Acts, the apostles won't heal or can't heal some people, including themselves. <laughs> like, later on, Paul's going to be like, I got this thorn in the flesh I can't get rid of. And he, he, doesn't even, he can't even heal himself in that moment. So this isn't like a normative thing for all of time, but this is a special thing that was happening here, and it's important that we understand why. God can heal, and he does still heal today. We talked about that a couple, several weeks ago. We had a whole message on healing. But it's not exactly like it looks like here. It's not always this way. Sometimes it's other ways. Sometimes it's miraculous. Sometimes it's through modern medicine. There's lots of things, ways that God works. But here, the apostles are doing miraculous healings, and it says they're meeting at Solomon's portico, which was a, a spot in the temple grounds that was a room, had enough room for a large gathering of people. And so the apostles would meet there oftentimes with the early church with groups of Christians, and they would preach the gospel, and they would try to convert more people in to the church, and they would do the healings, and they would do all this. It was kind of their regular place of meeting. And notice here it says that none of the rest joined them, but the people held them in high esteem. That was kind of an interesting phrase to me. I had to do some research on that. What it means by none of the rest, the rest are the rest of the people, the unbelievers, 
those who are not yet part of the church. They're watching all this happen. This church is growing. People are getting healed. The gospel is getting preached. And they're kind of over here on the fringe, and they're watching. And it says they held them in high esteem. In other words, they were in awe of their power. They were in awe of their miracles. Like, man, there's something different about these dudes. But I don't think I want to be a part of that. Right? So, like, they're still kind of keeping their distance because they don't know where this is headed, and they know the Jewish leaders probably aren't going to be very happy, and, and so they're, they're not jumping in yet. But nonetheless, things are happening. It says that so much was happening, so much healing was happening, that the people started carrying the sick into the streets and just laying them up and down the streets, hoping that when Peter walked by, his shadow might just touch them. And they might just get a little bit of the, the healing rubbed off from the shadow passing by. Like <laughs> Peter is straight up famous at this point. He's like a rock star in Jerusalem, right? Like everybody's like, I just want to be in the presence of, the, of his greatness. And hopefully that'll do something for me. Like think about how this transitions or how this, this comes into already. Like when you go to a concert and you see like the people there in the very front, they're like pressed up against the stage and they're like trying to reach up and just touch the shoe of their favorite person that they're, right? And like, if I can, I just want to be like just right here and just touch them or, or like at the ball games when people are, you know, the, on, on the stands and the, the athletes are walking back to the locker room, they're like hanging over like by one leg, like trying to get a high five from their favorite athlete. They just want to be in the presence of greatness. That's what's happening here with Peter. This summer, Courtney and I got to go to the Cardinals Hall of Fame Museum down, downtown. Never, that was our first time going. If you've never been, you ought to check it out. It's pretty cool. But they have, this whole, they have this whole little room in the museum where they actually have memorabilia from the players that you can actually hold and, like, try on and stuff. And so I got to put a championship ring on um, my thumb because it was way too big for any of my fingers. So I got to put this championship ring on the thumb. You get to hold that and, and, and do that. And then I got to hold the wizard's bat, like Ozzie Smith's bat in my hand. I could just feel the power, just feeling my body up. Like this is like my, one of my, my childhood heroes. It's kind of cool just to be in the presence of greatness, right? That's what's happening here with the whole Peter shadow thing. I don't know if people actually got healed by a shadow or not. It doesn't tell us. I, I mean, at some point, some lady touched the hem of Jesus' garment and got healed. So, I mean, who knows? But, but we do know they had this understanding that, man, the people in Jerusalem, that they wanted to be near this because God was doing something here. So, so the people gathered from the towns all around Jerusalem that they brought the sick and afflicted. So now they're bringing people from outside of town into Jerusalem to see Peter and the apostles. And it says, notice it says that all were healed. <laughs> That's a big word. Like the apostles here are batting a thousand when it comes to healing. You're sick, healed. You're sick, healed. You're sick, healed. Everybody's getting healed. This is a major move of the Spirit. Can you imagine having that kind of power working in you and through you? It would have been really easy for Peter and the apostles to kind of get puffed up. Think about, man, look how, look how awesome we are. Look at all this, all, look at everything we're doing. Like, all these people want to be near us. All these, they're all listening to us. We have all this power. But it didn't happen. None of the apostles made it about them. They all just kept pointing it back to Jesus. Every sermon, every speech, every time they're talking, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. How do we know that? Because it tells us right here that more than ever, believers were added. More than ever, 
We already had 3,000 conversions at Pentecost. We had two more thousand a couple, you know, chapters ago. Now they're saying more than ever. So more than all of that, people are coming and being added to who? To the Lord. They're not being added to Peter. They're not being added to the apostles. They're not even being added to the church. They're being added to the Lord. Because the apostles, every time something good happened, they're like, it's him. It's Jesus' power. It's not us. Don't, don't, no, no, don't, don't worship us. Don't look at us. It's not, it's him. He's the one doing this. His power, his miracles, his glory. Because see, the miracles were simply to reinforce the message of the gospel. To prove that God was who he said he was, or Jesus was who he said he was, and that God was moving in this work. And the apostles made sure that everybody knew about it. Well, unfortunately this week, um, we had to say goodbye to another Cardinals postseason. Moment of silence. Um, but it got me thinking about their successes in past years and, 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 and the ways that they've done well over the year. And I realized that there's a common thread through all of baseball successes is that you have to have two tools to win any baseball game. Right? You can't win a baseball game if you don't have a bat and a glove. But if I was to take this bat and lay it at home plate, how many home runs is it going to hit? If I was to take this glove and lay it at first base or lay it in right field, how many balls is it going to catch? How many people is it going to tag out? They can't win games by themselves. It's not until Goldschmidt picks up the bat or Yachty straps on the glove that they are filled with the power that they need to actually win the game. Christians, we're not Yachty. We're not Goldschmidt. We're gloves and bats. And we can't win anything or do anything until we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit working through us to do what God has called us to do. This is how we win games. This is how we win the mission of God is being used by him, his power, his miracles, his strength. We're just the vessels. The apostles couldn't do it on their own. They had to have the Holy Spirit's strength in them working. Success comes from God's strength, not mine. So stay humble. Some of us need to swallow that a couple times. In this church, in your own personal life, in your family, in your business, success comes from God's strength, not mine, not yours. So we need to stay humble and just submit ourselves to all that he is. That's point number one. Point number two. Don't be disoriented by the emotional roller coaster. Trust the Lord. Point number two to persevering, if we're going to persevere, don't be disoriented by the emotional roller coaster, but trust the Lord. Listen, sometimes life in ministry is like one big roller coaster ride. Can I get an amen? Right? You know this. There's highs, there's lows. You've been there, you felt them. You, I don't know which one you're in right now, but whichever one you're in right now, guess what's coming? right? It's, it's just like that. 
And so as we read this next section, I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to put yourself in the apostles' shoes, in the apostles' sandals, if you will, and imagine what it would be like to go through all the events that you're getting ready to read here in this chapter of Acts. Look at verse 17. It says, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. So, you start off, you're doing miracles, people are getting saved, church is expanding, and then boom, you get arrested and thrown in prison. Can we agree that that's kind of like a big jolt on the roller coaster, right? And so, right here it says that the, the, the Jewish leaders arrested them because they were filled with jealousy. They're jealous over their success, they're jealous of their fame, they're jealous of their following, and so they arrest them and they put them in public prison. It's interesting that he uses the word public there public prison because they wanted to make a statement, right? They wanted all the public to know, you cross us, this is what's going to happen to you. They're putting this on display. Imagine if right now police marched in here and arrested your pastor, arrested some of your church leaders and took us and put us in prison. What would that do to your faith? What would that do to your walk with Christ? Would you forget? Would you run away? Would you not talk about it anymore? I don't, I, not, I don't know that church. I've never been to that church. I know that seems like a far-fetched idea for us here in America because we have freedom of religion and all, but I'm not so sure there's not a day coming, maybe soon, that that could start to look more and more like a reality. That's what's happening here. Like, their key guys are in jail, right? Think about the roller coaster for the apostles, the roller coaster for the church here. But then keep going. Look at verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. I love how Luke just says that so matter of fact. Like, it's just like, yeah, it's just like a Thursday. Yeah, you know, an angel lets them out. Angel shows up, opens the door, lets them out, and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So miracles, people getting saved, awesome healings, in prison, and now we're out with the angel. And he's like, all right, but you're free, but don't run away. Don't go high. Don't like, no, no, go right back where you were and keep preaching. Like, you know, we just got arrested for that. Like, that's how we got in the prison. No, no, go back and do it again. And at daybreak, as soon as the temple was open, what did they do? They went back and they started preaching the gospel. God will not let a few religious leaders get in the way of his message and his mission. He's way bigger than that. He's got way more strength than that. And here he sends them right back. God continues to pursue and to love his people through the ups and the downs. He doesn't give up. He doesn't walk away. So they enter the temple, immediate obedience, no debate, no excuse, no like, all right, angel, but let me, let me pray about it. No, it was none of that. Like, it was just like, go and preach the gospel, and they went and did it. I think they're just excited to be out of jail, right? Like, I'm just, hey, I'm free. Like, I'll do whatever you want me to do, right? Let's just go do this now. Story goes on. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the synod of the people of Israel, so now we've got the, the re-arrest, right? So they, they get together all the high priests, all the council, all, all the big wigs are there 
to do the trial for these guys. And it says that they sent to the prison to have them brought, verse 22, but when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Keep going. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Think about that report. Showed up, everything looked good, doors locked, guards are in place. They should be there, but they're not. And it says that the leaders were greatly perplexed. They were stumped. You know what I've learned about really prideful, you know, power-tripping, arrogant type of people? They hate to be stumped. Right? Like, like when, they, when they don't know, man, that's going to go really bad for somebody. Like, heads are going to roll somewhere. You know what I'm talking about, right? And so these guys are like, what's going on? And then notice what it says next. It says, um, and someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are staying in the temple and teaching the people. Oh, no, they didn't. Right? Like, now they're really hot because they look like fools. And it goes on and it says, Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set before them, they set them before the council. So now they're back on trial again. They're right before the council, the same council that just a few months ago killed Jesus for a lot less. So what do you think's getting what do you think is going through their heads right now? What do you think they're expecting is next for them? They've defied and, and, and disobeyed and ignored them multiple times now, and they're right back there again. That's going to be a low, right? Keep going. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Guilty. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They're clearly guilty. But I love the way that that the high priest describes them. He says, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. What an awesome accusation, right? Like, dang right we did, right? Like, everybody's heard about Jesus because of us, man, because we are so on fire for God that we're telling everybody, no matter what you have said. And they said, you're trying to bring this man's blood upon us. They see them as their enemies, right? Like, you, it's us versus you, man. And, and we're going to win. That's what the high priest is thinking. So finally, Peter responds. Look at verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. In just that little statement, we see how unshakable the faith of the apostles was. They stand right there in the face of the people who are the most powerful men in Jerusalem at this time, can do anything they want to these guys. And they say, I don't care what you say. God's told us to do it, we're going to do it. That is commitment. That right there, my friends, is the cost of discipleship. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, this is what we're called to. He goes on, and he basically just shares the gospel. Like He's on trial for sharing the gospel. He's like, I'll just share it again. And so he tells him the gospel again. Verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. He's like, listen, this is the, this is the reality, guys. 
God sent his son to this earth. You didn't believe him, but he was God in the flesh. He lived a perfect life, and then you crucified him for nothing. But he was actually dying for the sins of you and all of us. And then he went to the grave, and God resurrected him and exalted him to Savior and leader. You're not the leaders. He's the leader, and he's the Savior. And if you'll repent of your sins, he will forgive you for everything you just did to him, just like he's forgiven us. That's what Peter's telling these guys. Jesus came to forgive sin, even the sin of his own killers. Think about that. If he was willing to forgive them that, what on earth have you done to him that he's not willing to forgive? I know some of you, you think, man, I've done too much. I've went too far. My sin's too deep. God can't love me. God can't forgive me. It's not what the Bible says. God says, I came exactly for that. If you will come, if you will repent, I will forgive and you will be made clean. So he gives him the gospel again. And he says, we are, and we are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. I love how he links that. He says, we're witnesses, we saw him, but it's not just us. The Holy Spirit was given to us. The Holy Spirit is living inside of us and he is witnessing through us to everyone in Jerusalem. Listen, this isn't just man's message. This is God's message coming through man's mouth. That's what the gospel is. We're going to do six weeks of evangelism training. What we're going to train you to do is how to open your mouth and speak. It's not your message. It's God's message coming through you. You just have to be willing to open your mouth and speak it and let God, the Holy Spirit, work Listen, it's only possible to stand firm in the faith on the emotional roller coaster of life. Did they have a roller coaster? Right? The only way you stand firm in that is through the strength of the Lord. You've got to have the Holy Spirit. They didn't do this on their own. They couldn't handle all that on their own. The strength of the Holy Spirit is required to persevere in faith and persevere in bold witness. You know, the first few months, um, you know, we are, I'm going to back up. So we, we've seen this roller coaster in our own church. And so I'm just going to do a quick little, like, review here. So when Courtney and I first came to St. Louis, it was just the two of us. We started trying to gather people who would help plant a church like this. And the first few months were awesome, man. The first few months, things were taking off. Things were growing like gangbusters. You know, three, four months in, we had 30, 35 people. We're on track. Things were looking good. And then we just hit a wall, right? And it just like stone wall, not going any further. We had like a whole year where we just hovered at like 30, 35 people. Set major setbacks, problems, felt like there was these major failures in the whole thing. And just like, what are we doing? God, where are you at? And it was just this huge roller coaster dip for us. And then when God was ready in his timing, he said, okay, let's go. And he suddenly just started bringing more people and we got to that 50 adults. And now is the time. And we were ready to go. And so we set a launch date. And we're excited about that. And then we had to raise $50,000 to buy all the equipment and stuff that we use each and every week. And so we came and basically said, all right, we need 50 grand. Um, we got two weeks. Um, so bring it. Like, that was pretty much the campaign. Like, go home, pray about it. We need the money. And so we went home, we prayed about it, came back two weeks, everybody brought their pledge cards, and that night we had over $50,000 pledged, and I think like 48000 or 46000 came in that night, like cash in hand, 
ready to buy the equipment because we had to put a down payment on stuff. And God supplied, and we're like, man, God's doing this. And so we started getting the teams together, and we started doing training, and, and things were just really running towards launch. And then in the middle of all of that, Courtney, my wife, gets diagnosed with cancer. And we're like, so now we're talking surgery and chemo and radiation, and we're trying to launch a church, and how is this all going to work? And it was hard for our family, but it took a toll on all of our church. Because I couldn't do everything I needed to do, and so other guys were having to step up and do that, and people were bringing us meals, and people were watching our kids, and, and like, it was just, it was hard. It was another dip. But then we got to launch, and we launched the church, and we had this big launch Sunday, and followed with great baptism service, and, and we were able to hire new staff, and install elders, and start small groups, and things were just rolling, and it felt good, and, and we're hitting all these high points, and we were also, in the midst of that, we had some low points. We had some families who had to leave and move away. We had major counseling situations that we had to walk through with some of you. We had HBF, the, the organization that helped launch our church, dissolve. We're like, okay, so what are we going to do now? And, and then last year, the Christmas decorations fell apart right in the middle of my sermon. And I'm like, man, like life is just, it's just a roller coaster, right? And now, now we're looking ahead to this new opportunity in the life of our church. And I don't know. Is it going to be an up? Is it going to be a down? I, I don't know. Is it going to work out? Is it all going to flop? And we're just going to be like, oh, sorry, next time, better luck. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Through all the ups, through all the downs, through all of it, what we have seen over and over again is that the Lord is with us. That the Lord is with us, that he's in control, and that we can trust him in all of it. This is what the Christian life is supposed to be. Now, sometimes we think it's not. We're like, God, why is it always like this? Like, why can't it just be, like, good? Like, I'm following you. No, no, the Christian life is supposed to be this. Because it keeps us dependent on him. It keeps us persevering through the highs and the lows. It keeps us trusting in him and not trusting in ourselves. Each of you have your own stories of highs and lows. Like you, you, you've, you've experienced this in your family, in your marriage, in your business, in your health, in your faith, in your finances. Like you, we've all had these ups and downs, these highs and lows, this roller coaster of life. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And the same that is true for our church is the same that's true for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, that in the highs, in the lows, you can trust him. He will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Ups and downs, Jesus is there. And if we'll rely on him, we'll have the strength that we need to persevere. Steadfastness comes from God's strength, not mine. If we're going to be steadfast, if we're going to keep going in the midst of the ups, in the midst of the downs, we have to have the strength of the Lord. We have to trust in him. Let's see how the story finishes here. Look at verse 33. It says, when they heard this, the, the high priests and the Jewish leaders, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Surprise, surprise. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. 
he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. Before, for before these days, Theodius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Last point is this. Don't despair over suffering in the valley. Endure on mission. Don't despair over suffering in the valley. Endure on mission. The leaders at this point are so mad. It says that they were enraged. They wanted to kill them. They're so offended by the message of the gospel that they're willing to create, to commit one of the worst sins in the minds of the Jewish people in order to get rid of it, right? They are hot. This is what the gospel does. There's an old Puritan proverb that says, the same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay. The same gospel that melts the hearts of some and draws them to Jesus is the same gospel that hardens the hearts of others and turns them away. Because there is no middle ground. There is no middle space with Jesus. There's no like half in, half out. You're either in or you're not. And right here, these men's hearts are turning hard against the gospel every time they hear it. But there's one guy who stands up, Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee. He was a very respected teacher uh, during this time. He's actually the guy who's trained Saul, who later becomes Paul. We're going to hear about him more later on in the book of Acts. So this is a big name guy. And he basically stands up and gives him a history lesson. He's like, listen, guys, this isn't the first time we've seen this, right? There was Theodius. He rose up. He had a following. But once he died, it all went away. And then we had this other guy, Judas. He did the same thing. Like, and then he makes this statement. He says, if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. We've seen it. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. I love that statement, man. God uses the mouth of an unbeliever, somebody who doesn't even believe in Jesus, to prophesy and to tell the truth and to encourage the hearts of his people that, listen, if I'm in this, you can't stop it. If I'm doing this, it will go forth, and you do not want to be on the other side of it. Peter didn't have to say that. One of their own guys said it. So it says they took his advice, which means they basically downgraded from murder to beating, all right? And so they beat them and threatened them. Um, basically, they're saying, listen, we're going to kill you, but we're going to send a message. You cross us, you oppose us, it's not going to go well for you. Everybody needs to know, and this is what it looks like. A beating here most likely means um, 40 lashes minus one. That was the Jewish norm, which means they got, each person got 39 lashes with a leather whip on the chest and on the back. It was so severe that oftentimes people would even die from the beating. So this is no small suffering we're talking about. Let's not glaze over that like that's just, oh, they got a little, 
you know, slap on the wrist and let them go. No, no, no. These guys were beat mercilessly for what they preached, for what they said, for the name of Jesus. They knew real suffering. But their response says that they left rejoicing. These guys have a screw loose? Like, I, what? Like, you just got beat within an inch of your life. But they left rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. They believed that no price was too big, that no cost was too much to lay down for the person who had given everything for them. They were all in, fully committed, not looking back. Suffering like this, I think, God allows it for a couple reasons. I think, first of all, it's a great reminder of the value of the gospel, the value of our salvation. You understand that Jesus had to endure much worse than this for us to even be saved. So if we're going to be followers of his, we shouldn't expect that we should have to suffer any less. Sometimes when we don't have to go through hard stuff, I think we can trivialize our salvation. We can trivialize what we have in Jesus and how lost and desperate and what we would be left with if we didn't have him. Suffering reminds us of the value of who he is in our lives. Suffering also is proof that he gives us strength in our suffering. That when you're going through that hardship and it looks like you can't make it and you have no idea how you're going to get to the other side of this, and then suddenly you do, you're like, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you showed up and you gave me what I didn't have, what I needed. Suffering also is the process by which he makes us more like Jesus. He literally turns us into better versions of ourselves, better mimics of Christ himself as we endure through the suffering. It's part of our sanctification. John Stott, great commentator, wrote this. He said, persecution will refine the church, but not destroy it. If it leads to prayer and praise, to an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God and of the solidarity with Christ and his sufferings, then however painful, it may even be welcome. The apostles got that. They welcomed it because it made much of the name of Christ. So they left rejoicing and notice the last sentence, they left on mission. It says they went out and every day, every day, not just Sundays, right? Not just Saturdays, Every day, ongoing, continuously faithful, they went to the temple. They kept going back to the same place. They just got arrested, and they publicly proclaimed the gospel. Like, you guys need to hear this. You need Jesus. They just kept going. And it says they went house to house, personally proclaiming the gospel to one another, encouraging. We need each other in this too, guys. If we're going to persevere, we need each other loving and, and speaking the gospel to us so we can keep going. But most of all, it says they did not cease teaching and preaching. They persevered. Even in the lows, even in the hard times, they persevered. Listen, guys. Suffering is not a time to sulk or quit or give up or back down or sit out. Suffering is a chance to stand and to endure on mission with God. It's an opportunity. Not in our strength. Don't try to stand in your strength. 
That roller coaster will knock you down in two seconds flat. But it's a chance to stand and endure in his strength. Letting him solidify in us what we don't have on our own. It's a time for us to trust him, to rely on him, to grow in dependence on him. Listen, many of you I know have been through or or are going through trials and suffering right now. I've heard your stories. Some of you have family relationships that are broken and you're praying desperately that God would restore those. Some of you have been through physical accidents that have caused physical pain and financial pain as a result of the medical bills. Some of you are dealing with ongoing struggles and persecution at work and you're constantly trying to figure out how you make your faith fit in the place that you have to earn a living. Some of you are just feeling alone and depressed right now. Some of you have lost a loved one and you're trying to figure out how to mourn them. Suffering is real. And it's often present in our lives. All of us. Our natural reaction when suffering comes is to pull away. To put up the walls and get distance and try to push away and get, get, it, get the pain as far away from me as possible. But God has a different plan. God wants to use the suffering in your life to make you more like Jesus. He wants to use the suffering to to grow you in perseverance, to grow you in dependence on him. He's calling out to you, don't waste your suffering. God's like, don't waste it. If you have to go through it anyways, don't waste it. Use it as an opportunity to trust me, to follow me, to endure with Standing in the suffering comes from God's strength, not mine. So endure on mission. Don't give up. Don't step away. Don't sit it out. Don't quit. Stand and endure in the strength of the Spirit. I can only persevere on God's mission when I rely on God's strength. That's where we started. Listen, I don't, I don't want this to come off calloused or hard or me just telling you to buck up and be a better soldier. That's not what this message is. I know suffering is real. I know it's hard. We've been through it. You've been through it. But making it through is all about his strength, not mine. I don't have to do it on my own. I just have to be humble and trust the Lord and keep enduring. If we do that, He will fill us with his strength as followers of Christ every time. So that's what we want to do. That's what we want to go after as a church. So don't just stand with me. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. We're going to just ask the Lord to help us endure and persevere and walk in a strength beyond our own. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. God, thank you so much for just the power of your word, the testimony that, Lord, we're not alone in this, that you are with us, that you are leading us, that we can endure in your strength. Lord, thank you that you are with us no matter what, the highs, the lows, the good, the bad. Thank you, Lord, that you do not waste our suffering, but you use it, that you help us to grow through it. So, Lord, right now, Lord, just fill us with your spirit. Lord, help us persevere. Help us stand in the midst of the suffering. 
Lord, help us to look to you, to call on your name for strength as we walk through this life. Thank you, God. Thank you for your promise. We pray all of this in Christ's name.